coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with an author specializing in Second Amendment content. Then we review the TriggerTech AR-15 drop-in trigger and the Stevens 560 field shotgun. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, what's going on? I don't know. Something today made me think about the uh, Neighborhood 22 shoot. Oh, really? Coming up soon. You know, what I'm thinking about the uh, Neighborhood 22 shoot is the fact that I have a whole bunch of guns that really need to be sighted in, and I have no time to do it. Oh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, I might shoot that uh, that Model 52 this year and try to yeah. win it with iron sights, be I the have, first one to do it. I have to sight in my, my 22 is some, it's off a little bit. It just needs a little TLC. I got to well, sight that Well, lost last year, so yes. it must be off. That, it was definitely the gun. It wasn't me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Uh, I have to sight that in. I have to sight in my rifle for the two-gun shoot, big time. Yep. <clears throat> um, I don't like the zero that it's at. So. I got to figure out what... I, I got to talk to uh, to our buddy Frank. I, I I need a rifle for the shoot. I am I don't want to shoot the same one that I shot last year. Why don't you shoot the rifle you shot, but shoot it with a different optic? Why don't you put an optic on it? I don't... You know, come on. I, that, that's not fun. I mean... <laughs> I, the, I just want... I don't want to take... I want to leave that rifle the way it is. Okay. And I mean, that platform, the platform is the platform. Like it's, you could, I can I give you 10 of them, right? It's the optic. I feel like it doesn't make you Do you different. have more than one AR platform? I'm going to sell the one. Really? I didn't think you were going to sell that. I only need one. You're, one weir- you're weird. I never heard you say that before. That's, that's odd. Why well, do you not need more than one? Okay. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say <laughs> that. That's, that's not true. I need different ones for different jobs. And the other one doesn't really serve a function for me at this point. And so I'd rather sell it, take the money and use it towards something else. Ugh. I'm not saying I'll never own like more than one AR. I have a hard right? time with getting rid of any firearm. If I could, it depends if I can get the price out the money I want for it. That like that one has like a fixed iron sight in the front. I don't really like it. You know, like, okay. I don't know what I would use it for. Well, anyway, for, I, I think I'm buying another one. I don't think I'm selling anything. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> if so, my wife is listening, I'm trading. Normally I, <laughs> normally I ask you how your day is going, but I have a few things to share with you. Oh yeah. How's your day going then? My day is going fine. <laughs> uh, so I think I've mentioned him before. I feel like I mentioned him last week. One of our listeners, Rich Smith, uh, reached out to me on Instagram and was talking about our last episode. Uh, this is going back a ways now as of the time of this airing, but the episode with Rob Pincus, where we were talking about mental health. Yeah. And I have to say like Rich and I, I think just for the vibe I get from our conversations, I think sometimes we don't see eye to eye necessarily politically aligned uh, on everything. Uh, okay. But, yep. And, but we had a nice conversation and I think we really agreed on the, on the mental health thing. A couple of things we didn't agree with and we kind of discussed, but it was a really good conversation. So I, I enjoy the fact that people are listening at, they don't necessarily see eye to eye hundred percent, but they continue to listen and tune in. And he actually wanted me to say that the show was great. And he said, tell Big Keith, what's up? Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. What's so, up with you? So uh, he can't R- answer that. Rich is listening. Well, he'll, maybe he'll write back. Yeah, Rich, right In like back. a month. <laughs> tell me how you're doing. <laughs> uh, and so another thing, we have talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. And I went out last weekend, 
cost me uh-huh. about 40 bucks. Uh-huh. And I beefed up all the doors in my house. Oh, good for you. Uh, to make the onion. Thanks for letting me know, asshole. Yeah. You weren't around. <laughs> Um, but I can advise you very well on what to do. That, yeah, that, uh, it can't that, be hard. It was not hard, but I, I went a little overboard, as I oh, tend to do. That's okay. But anyway. Well, I'm it, happy to hear that. The onion, uh, the onion is more secure. The onion has another layer. It has another layer. That's right. <laughs> so, Or the layer it had is beefed up. Yeah. So uh, things are good. What about you? Well, other than my onion being beefed up, not anything. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get into this thing. So when it comes to buying ammunition, you need to look for a product that is accurate, reliable, and if possible, reasonable in price. You've heard us speak about New Republic ammunition from Target Sports USA. It checks all three of those boxes and comes in six popular calibers, soon to be seven. Uh, be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gets you 8% off all ammo purchases, free shipping, priority alerts, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. And if you're looking to support us and our show, I'm going to ask one simple thing. It's a pretty easy one. This is not going to apply to Keith. It'll only apply to me, but you should follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, there's links in the show notes, but uh, Rich, there's a good example. He reached out to me on Instagram uh, on a DM and we had a little conversation. So I am accessible and I try to really make sure I get back to people and communicate with people and you know, you guys are important to us. So if you reach out to us, we will definitely do our best to reach back out to you. If you reach out to me, it'll be through Mike on those platforms and then he'll get to me. Or Discord. Discord, I will respond. Yeah. So <clears> if you <throat> join our Discord, there's another one. If you want to join our Discord, you actually can communicate with Big Keith. I feel like that's like a, like, that's like a, ooh. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I mean, if, I get, if anyone thinks it's ooh to talk to me, then that, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, we just, I mean, it's so hard to get get you on social media. So there's Well, that, there's, there's that. that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so today's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiberco. Flatline makes everything from slings to dump pouches to their brand new IFAC pouch. We recently did a thorough review of the IFAC and we were super impressed. It carries everything you need in a very small and manageable size. I highly recommend checking out all of their handmade products at flatlinefiberco.com. But to get an even better deal, make sure you use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. And I just want to say, we're shooting this two-gun coming up yeah, in a week and- you know, my ear pros are wrapped with with Chad's uh, ear pro wraps, and the sling that I'll be using at that two gun is Chad's sling, and the IFAC that is on my battle belt is Same. Chad. So, like, you know, the stuff that dump pouch, yeah, dump pouch, yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, the stuff that our our sponsors make is this kind of the stuff we rock, really. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, go check them out. Uh, great guy, great company, and uh, definitely worth spending your hard earned money on their products. So today's guest believes deeply in individual freedoms and has long been fascinated by the written word, ranging from poetry to journalistic writing. Combining these two passions, his writing embraced the fundamental freedoms afforded to us in the US. His creative writing is integrated with contemporary Americana and his articles revolve mostly around the freedoms enumerated in the Bill of Rights. Known as the Pen Patriot, Please welcome John Petrolino to the show. John, how's it going? It's going great. How are you, gentlemen? Thank you for for having me. Thank you for uh, for coming on. And uh, you know, it would have been cool to do a live show when we were all in Arizona, but uh, the way we're doing it today is good. Yeah, and I want to also. Uh, normally, I wait till the end off the air, but you know, we always do chopping it up. I know you listen to the show, and you're right in our neck of the woods. So if you're ever interested in coming in studio and we can make it work, you know, we'll make it work. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just a matter of getting all the planets aligned. And then <laughs> I also insist we must uh, partake in some futtery. Okay. I, uh, I think we must do some shotgunning. And, I love it. Uh, I think that's uh, paramount to this. I think I think if you commit to doing that and we find the, the planets aligning to make it happen, Mike will even partake in some futtery. Well, you guys can fut around and I will carry your ammo for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll carry your shells for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. I can deal with that. <laughs> well, I got a pouch that carries my chill. So I'm all, <laughs> I don't need you to care. I don't want you reaching in my uh, pocket. Your pouch? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, from what I understand, your love of writing really can be traced back to the latter part of high school. And you've written everything from poetry to contemporary Americana. But how did writing about the Second Amendment sort of take off for you? That's a great question. So a number of years ago, back it was 2015, there was some advertisement, and I, I don't know where I saw it. Social media, somewhere online, said, "Hey, we want you." You know, it was like one of those. We want you to write, you know, Second Amendment related journalism. So I, I, I reached out to the to the guy. This website's still up and running. I won't name who they are because the, the way the story ends with them isn't you know savory, but. Um, I strike a conversation with the guy. Uh, he says, it sounds like you're really passionate about uh, what you'd like to cover. And he says, well, you know, go ahead and write something and get back to me. So I was covering the um, 2015 Steve Sweeney recall efforts that were being pushed to New Jersey. The, the, the former Senate president, um, Steve Sweeney, there was a push to get him recalled. So I, I covered this and I ended up writing this article. I, I mean, it was it was a great article, but it was like 6,000 words. I'm like, I'm not writing for the New Yorker, like really an <laughs> overkill, you know? But anyhow, I, I sent it off to this guy and the long and the short of it is completely ghosted me. And I was mad too, because I went and I got sources. I talked to people. I did interviews. I drove all over the state. I really put a lot of effort into this article. I'm like, well, geez, this is my first shot at second amendment journalism. And really my first shot at journalism since, you know, high school. In high school, I didn't really fare too well in, in the journalism thing, but I gave it a shot anyhow. So I was, you know, thinking about what can I do with this article. And I was already a subscriber to Ammo Land. I already got their newsletters and everything like that in my inbox. And I realized that they were at the time, they were located, you know, headquartered in New Jersey. I'm like, these guys are my neighbors. You know, it was literally a town or two over from where I lived. So I ended up getting in touch with Freddie Real, the editor in chief over there. He and I got on the phone. I kind of told him what I was doing. You know, you now we're kindred spirits in the sense we're both Jersey guys dealing with the BS there. And he said, uh, "Yeah, I'd love to take a look at the article." I said, "Well, why don't we give this other jabroni a week <laughs> to uh, you know get back to us, see if he's you know going to run with the article or not?" I mean, I technically wrote it for this guy. He said, "No problem." Week went by. I said to, to Freddie, uh, all right, I'll send it to you. I said, but uh, I got to warn you, it's, it's long. He said, send it. So I sent it, and he said, well, you were right. It is long, um, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to run it. So he, uh, Freddie gave me a shot, and he ran my first Second Amendment article in, in 2015. And then from there, I would just kind of sh- – throw them like one-offs every so often. I was getting stuff published in there. I'm not going to say a ton of work published in Ammo Land, but, you know, I was getting stuff out there. I felt good. I'm like, I got 
articles published. Yeah. You know, I'm somebody, you know, I felt like Navin Johnson. <laughs> my name was in the phone book, you know, I'm like, I, I'm somebody. Um, Great reference then, to the jerk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> um, and I branched out a little bit. I sent some work to uh, Dan Zimmerman at the truth about guns. He, he covered a piece of mine. Um, local guy in New Jersey, uh, Matt Rooney from the Save New Jersey blog. He ran some stuff for me. Um, uh, the Shore News Network that I used to hold a byline with those guys. They ran some stuff for me too. But then uh, come 2020, 2020 is when I released my book, Decoding Firearms. So that's a, uh, a book. I think you guys got a copy of it. We did. Um, we did. We're going to actually talk about it a little later in the show. So, yeah. Perfect. I won't dive too far into it, right? So, uh, the book comes out, and then shortly after the book came out, a lot of opportunities just came my way all at once. And Freddie at Amoland had approached me about coming on as a paid writer. I'm like, wait, you're going to actually pay me to do this? I'm like, oh, hell yeah, you know. Dream come true, right? Dream come true. Do what you you love and get paid for it? (laughs) Right. I wasn't about ready to quit my job, believe me. But I mean, now I'm getting paid money, you know, to to write. And I started also submitting stuff to Bearing Arms. I think I submitted stuff to Bearing Arms to Cam probably around 2019 was the first time I submitted something to Cam Edwards. Um, and it was about the Cheeseman case. That was a case that was going on went up to the Supreme Court, went nowhere. But the Cheeseman did a lot of tremendous work mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Anyhow, um, all these planets started aligned. So um, Amoland brought me on, started paying me. I was doing projects for them. I was doing articles for them. And then by, you know, winter, early winter, you know, 2021, um, January, February, I get an email from Cam and I was sending him work, you know, pretty steadily at that point, still not getting paid. And he said, listen, uh, no, I want to bring you on and uh, have you on as a, as a freelance writer or, you know, they call it contractors through Salem Media. I'm a contractor. Um, and I was like, that was huge. To get the tap from Cam Edwards was like really a big deal to me. I remember I landed. I was on an airplane. I, you know, landed, I think, in New Orleans or I think that's where I was. Anyhow, I was landing somewhere and I, I get this email and I was like, man, this was huge news. Actually, I was coming home. I was in New Jersey. But anyhow, I was over the moon that Cam was like bringing me on. So by March of 2021, Cam brought me on officially. And then uh, I want to say earlier this year, Dan Zimmerman brought me on to the truth about guns. So now I currently hold bylines where, you know, I do make a little bit of money, not a lot from ammo land, the truth about guns and from bearing arms. And I've got, I'd say in the neighborhood of over 600 articles. Wow. That's impressive. So you're right. You're writing, you're writing all over the place with all, you know, as many places as you can, you're starting to make a little money, get paid on it. You know, you mentioned that you tried a journalistic thing in high school, but it didn't really work out. And did you write in between? Like, have you always been a writer or have a love for writing or, did it sort of come back with this, you know, newfound passion for writing about the Second Amendment? It's a great question. I think, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And that's the big thing. I'm a, I'm a big opportunity guy. You don't say no to opportunity. If you're in a position mm-hmm. to say no to opportunity, there's a problem. No matter what the opportunity is, it's like 
a definite maybe, you know, like <laughs> maybe, you know, it's not a definite no. Like it has to be some real outlandish stuff or it's not an opportunity. Um, since I was heavily involved in the creative writing arena, um, it was interesting because things started to change. When I say, you know, I started doing this thing, Second Amendment related is 2015. If you remember how the country was, 2013, 2014, 2015, right? Um, things started to change. I feel that's when things started to take a turn in the U.S. And um, the creative writing people became increasingly hostile to civil liberties that you and I, I mean, I'm not going to make assumptions here, but I'm going to say you and I both hold dear, right? The yep, three yep, of us sure. mm -hmm. uh, and your listeners. So they became hostile to anybody that had this uh, libertarian streak in them where they supported like the second amendment. I remember people would get mad, like, you know, the typical, well, no, you want to round up guns. I mean, you realize that the same thing Hitler did, you know, I'm like getting blocked left and right from people on social media. <laughs> and like, you know, these people are like crazy. It, it was too soon for that comment, John. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, you know, and a guy that I kind of, you know, looked up to, like a colleague, an older guy, but we kind of would feed off of each other, like creatively, you know, work, work wise. And uh, the guy, you know, went apoplectic on me. He's like, guns only have one purpose. They're to kill. And I'm like, all right, next thing you know, I'm getting blocked by this guy. And I'm like, these people are totally daft. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And they're all open to everybody's opinions as long as they're like their opinions. So it's interesting um, you say that because <clears throat> what you're talking about and Keith, I mean, you know, Keith and I talk about it a lot on the show in terms of social media stuff and his, you know, reluctance to be on it. And my sort of, um, out of necessity being on it, I guess. And when we talk about these platforms censoring people, it's really a first amendment issue, you know? And so I find it interesting because we often think of constitutional rights individually, depending on how they apply to the various situations that we're discussing. So as an avid writer and also a supporter of the second amendment, can you sort of elaborate on how these two rights are interconnected? And obviously I realize that this is, is an opinion, but I want to know your opinion on how these are interconnected. Uh, oh, absolutely. And it's, I, I don't know when this is going to air. I know you guys have an incredibly busy schedule, but I just wrapped up an article five minutes before I logged in dealing with censorship from a politician that blocks Facebook comments from people. <laughs> this guy's a, you know, he was the dude that uh, rolled out. Hypocrite. Our, yeah, right. Exactly. Our New Jersey carry killer ruin response bill in New Jersey. Um, this guy, Joe Danielson, what a total hack. I mean, this guy is a loser and, um, he blocks comments. He does not allow comments on his Facebook page. And when something slips past the goalie, people light him up. Hmm. And, uh, you know, last month I wrote about him um, changing his background to the Israeli flag Ugh. on his Facebook page. And people lit him up because comments were open on that. So I, you know, took the copies of the comments and put them into an article and talked about it. Well, just <laughs> recently, somebody. Uh, That's great. Today, she reached out to him and said, hey, um, you know, what you're doing here is, you know, it's actually illegal. And she cites this Fourth Circuit Court, um, you know, case about 
blocking stuff on Facebook. Well, well, we're in the third. We're not in the fourth circuit. So maybe there's no jurisdiction. So, uh, but he, he called her, sir. Uh, it was kind of funny. So what, what I'm finding is when it comes to the first amendment and the second amendment, I mean, the ACLU and the NRA should be holding hands in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that these types of organizations that safeguard both the second and the first amendment should be perfect bedfellows. Um, because without one, you really can't have the other. And by that, I mean, if you take away the firearms, you really can subvert speech, political speech, any kind of speech, right? I don't have to tell you guys that. And this is what happens. They come, uh, first they, you know, and and this goes out to big hat tip to attorney Evan Knappen from New Jersey. He's our U S law shield attorney also. And in New Jersey, Evan Knappen used to say, uh, regularly since, you know, registration reads, leads to confiscation and then confiscation leads to extermination. Um, and history has showed us this. Uh, so you get this censorship thing. And I, I made the comment. It was funny to, to, to my wife just the other day, just about politics in general. And she tries not to get too politically engaged. She likes to just live a happy life. And I don't blame her. Um, if you can do that, and, that's an amazing way to live. <laughs> Exactly. And I'm like, you know, if you notice all of these states that have these awful or cities, right, even really cities, jurisdictions in general that have these draconian laws or policies, this is they are also the most crime ridden. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what comes with that is also this anti First Amendment streak as well. But they don't want you to really express your language, right? Their language is fine. And they also don't want you to have firearms. So you, I see this. They don't want you to make the connection. Right. This authoritarian streak runs within all of them. That's just what I've observed. I write a lot about censorship. We've seen it in more modern time. And I mean, modern as in like the last five years with like cancel culture and deplatforming. You know, it's like if they if they can shut down your platform and what you believe and what you want to say, uh, they essentially control the narrative, right? And so by controlling the narrative uh, of the First Amendment and freedom of speech, that allows them to then control the narrative of what of what guns are and making up words like assault weapon, right? And, uh, you know, and other such terms. So- it's weapons I, of war. That's where we're at today. That's right. the latest one. Weapons right. of war. I still don't think. Right? I still don't think the First Amendment is attacked as much as the Second Amendment is. I don't. I don't think any amendment is attacked as much as the Second. You know. I don't um, know. I mean, lately, like it's like you, you think about how little you can say without getting really, really well, demonized. But, it, but it's when that happens, it's not them fighting you on the First Amendment. It's them just being a keyboard warrior, or you know, uh, doxing you or whatever the hell that's called when they, I mean, people uh, you know, have lost their jobs over, right? Like saying yeah, but something it's not, that's not politically in vogue. I, I'm there, I'm with you. Yeah. I agree with that. But when that happens, it's not, you know, they're not quoting, you know, the, the lack of the first amendment oh, yeah. for that purpose. Right. Whereas the second amendment is always quoted as a problem. Right. right. You know? So that was, I think part of the thing with the first amendment is it's not just freedom of speech, right? It's, there's a few things wrapped Correct. up in it. So it, they're not like pigeonholing one thing where the second amendment is very clear. Maybe, maybe that's the reason why, maybe. you yeah, know, maybe. um, but, 
the, <laughs> I, the reality, yeah. in my opinion, is that, you know, and we've said this on the show before, for whatever reason, out of the amendments, the Second Amendment seems to be the one that is politicized the most. and It's and, certainly and, the most divisive. I mean, it definitely is. It's a hot button thing it, in this country. It's weaponized. Yeah. You know, it's it's become a weapon itself, you know. But yeah. I and John, I guess that brings me back to like kind of. Well, you know, you writing so many articles about about this, you know, one of the first articles I had come across was one of the, a more recent one. Uh, it was like in the middle of uh, October-ish, and it was discussing the recent survey done by Walk the Talk America. And uh, oh, yeah. I would have liked to have seen more respondents, as I'm sure the, you know, WTTA would have as well. Um, I didn't make the connection, but Rob, we had Rob Pincus on the show again recently, and he's on the board of WTTA, and I, I, I didn't make that connection when we were talking to him. But, you know, my question after reading the articles, I guess, is, and I went and I also read the, the study, too. It was it, it was a pretty, you know, it wasn't a long read. Um, is, is one of the biggest hurdles gun owners have is ending the two-way politic, political debate. You know, um, and and sharing the and 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 sharing their voices more. You know, is that is that really? I think the, is that the biggest hurdle that gun owners have. I I don't know. It's <laughs> um, a big question. Well, yeah, it's I a mean, good and, question. It's a big question. Well, this the and if we want to talk a little bit like a, where I kind of came up with that from the survey, it was the survey was around you know gun owners' opinions on mental health in the country in this country. And, um, and there were questions like, uh, one of the questions was, you know, would you, if you were, if you were told to see a mental health professional, you know, would you see a health professional? Would you, would you seek out a mental health professional? And, you know, the responses that they could have is no, because I'm afraid of my, you know, right to defend myself will be taken away. Right. And overwhelmingly, there was, you know, a pretty big percentage of the, no. of the populace that said that, that yeah. they were, you know, that they were afraid of that. So it just started to make me, you know, think about this topic that we talk about all the time. And, and you know, you're, there are gun owners that maybe don't get help because they're afraid of the consequences of that. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole series that I'm, I've started on the New York SAFE Act and the, you know, mental health hygiene law in New York um, and traces through everything that you're talking about. And the, the third piece that I rolled out um, worked in Tamden with one of the women that I discuss in the article series. So the third piece um, covers Sandy Richardson's, her research on this, and it's all about the barriers to care and hands down, and this is somebody that is in the medical profession, you know, she's in the, you know, the medical industry and she's a nurse, she's retired now and she did all this research and you'd be shocked at the number of people that don't get care because of this. And then I also drew on some research from Dr. Gianni Pirelli and he's from New Jersey. And he also talks quite a bit about this barrier to care that gets created. So these lawmakers, and I just had this conversation actually with a guy that was that I talked about in Article 2 on, on that series, but Isaac, 
you know, I, I just had a conversation with him yesterday or the day before discussing something that was going on. And I said, don't attribute um, maliciousness to that which is probably incompetence. And, you know, we look at our government and I say, I feel our government's very malicious. And I think the government in New York and New Jersey in particular, very malicious governments. I Definitely. don't think they have our, uh, you know, uh, you know, if there's any, if there's any doubt of that, just look at after New York won the Bruin case and how vindictive our governor was. Yeah, exactly. Like a temper yeah. tantrum. So, um, but there's one thing that I know about the, the government as malicious as it is, they'll always be more incompetent than they are <laughs> malicious. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that the malicious isn't bad when it's bad. It is, but um, they're very incompetent. Yeah. So when you look at these policymakers and they write these laws, are they writing them with the intended consequence to absolutely subvert the Second Amendment? Or are they just so stupid that they can't figure this out? They can't connect the dots. And, and they're so altruistic that they believe, oh, they're, we're really going to have a better world if we do things my way. Well, we're probably not. I know that for almost a fact. And did you think about this? And why aren't you listening to the people that this directly affect? And here's one of the statistics in, in, the, in the article. And, um, series three, the New York Safe Act chronicles, it's on bearing arms. Uh, part three talks about this. And I think the statistic says 3%, 3% of those people who are mentally ill is the number of people who are um, susceptible of the violence that we talk about when we say that kind of violence, right? When you talk about a mass shooting event or total craziness, right? 3% of the mentally ill. Okay, so that's actually not a very large number. So we take this category of people who are quote unquote mentally ill and let's drill down and let's look at this from a federal disqualifier and say people that were involuntarily committed. Well, what percent of those people are part of that 3% of the mentally ill? I think are we what I'm saying is are we actually going above and beyond the call of duty on this? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but what I do know is it, it feels like that sometimes. Correct. Well, right. And what I you're saying is I correct. mentioned earlier about our our listener Rich and he wrote in about, you know, the idea that we were spot on about mental health and he agreed on that. And I believe he lives in a red in a red state and he was saying you know, these red states, they keep saying that these problems are related to mental illness, but then they're cutting mental illness programs. And I said, brother, that's not a, that's not a red state thing. I said, that's a United States thing. Like we are not taking care of people who need to be taken care In of. blue states. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a United States thing. That is all yeah. of us. Yeah. We are united in yeah. not spending money on mental health. However, and I said this as well, everybody and I'm, I'm obviously don't mean this quite literally, but everyone has mental health issues this, this day and age. What I mean by that is, you know, everyone who's just having a bad day is like, you know, I'm having anxiety. I'm, and you know, listen. I, it's like, listen, we all have anxiety, but like, you know, everyone's got issues, but like back in the day, you didn't just go around talking about how you had anxiety. You just kind of like, I'm having a bad day and you went about your day. Now it's like, everybody has quote unquote, some mental 
stuff going on. And because everybody has it, it's just like we've normalized it that like, you know, hey, everyone's just well, got we some don't, stuff we going don't on. We don't talk about it, right? We 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 wanna maintain the Facebook image. We want to maintain well, that's an whole other, yeah. Well, that's part yeah, of it. Oh, that, that's not a whole other. That's a no, that, no, that part that of it. a whole other thing in terms of like you're creating this perfect image. Correct. Right. And that is a whole I mean that is creating all kinds of issues. I think that's exaggerating, if that's the right word. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Um exaggerating. Exaggerating, exasperating, maybe that's the word I was looking for. Um the mental health problem. I think it's making it worse. It definitely is. 100%. You know, so I, I think it's absolutely a hundred percent relatable. Yes. It's not a whole nother thing. It is absolutely yeah. part of it. I, when I say a whole nother you, thing, you, I, back I in just, the, but I, when you talk about back in the day and, and you had people who were having a bad day, you know, you had, you talked about it at the dinner table or whatever yeah. the case may be. And, and you go on with life, you know, right. It, when, when, when you broke bread together as a family, it wasn't what you re, what you see on TV of, Oh, how was your day? So, you know, like, right. you know, it was a more, you know, more of a more complex than, yeah. than, than that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But I think you, you guys are, you know, opening up the, the door for a four hour conversation. Yeah, I'm yeah, with no, you on this. I, I, I was going to say, I am like, I'm like, I want to say so much about this. Like we could talk about the sanatoriums were all shut down after the I mean, 60s. Yeah. You know, this I, stuff was exposed by Ken Kesey yep. and all the stuff that was going on in typical government fashion. I've said that several times that the, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say it again. So if you're listening, like I apologize for me beating the same drum, but yeah, the fact that mental institutions and, you know, and, and institutions for the mentally insane and criminally insane, the fact that those were, you know, horrific places and people were really mistreated in those places that part of it was wrong, but the idea of having a place to bring people who need help is right. It's just, you got to do it in a humane way. But instead we just like shut them all down, you know? And yeah, it was a typical knee jerk reaction. Yeah, exactly. Like you see that in everything else. And I think Rob, Pink, shut it all down. Rob said the same thing the other day, you know, when we had him on. So, so I, savings. I, I agree with you. This is like a, a, a four hour conversation. We do a, do a long form content on oh, this. It was a good one. scratch. Yeah. <laughs> But I wanted to get to your book, Decoding Firearms. Back in 2020, you decided to write Decoding Firearms, which uh, it basically takes an introductory look into both gun safety and firearms use. So of all the topics to write about in the Second Amendment space, and I mean, there's plenty, what made you go back to basics? Because that, you know, it seems like, especially you have a real, you like to sink your teeth into uh, journalistic writing. It seems like, that wouldn't really, you know, really get, you know, scratch the itch for you in terms of your journalistic desires, but it's a very important book. So what made that be the topic you chose to write about? I did it on accident. <laughs> Good answer. It was an accident. It's a great answer. I didn't mean to do it. Um, I was, I was editing somebody else's book at the time, like doing a lot of technical editing, right? Not content editing. He wrote what he wrote. That's his own deal, Right. Um, and as I was editing, like, man, if I wrote this myself, I would do some things way differently. Right. And while that was going on, I was also writing a class myself to use, to act as an introductory, you know, lesson for people for handguns. Right. If you recall back in this time range, so it would have been pre 2019 is the time frame. The NRA did away with the First Steps Pistol Program. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I'm not. No. 
Okay, so the NRA First Steps Pistol class was like a seminar that you could bang out in like three to four hours. And it's a truncated version of the, you know, NRA basic pistol class. They did away with it. And, you know, I thought it was a, um, a problem that they got rid of that. <clears throat> and I wanted to come up with my own kind of curriculum to kind of work as a fill-in for people that needed training or they just needed a brush up or they needed an evaluation of their training. And this all sprang from uh, a gun club I'm a member of, and they require you to take a class in order to join the club. So I wanted to come up basically with a class to fill that need without having to do a full eight hour program with somebody that's like, well, I've been shooting for 20 years. I'm like, well, does this guy need an eight hour NRA basic pistol class? Maybe, maybe not. Why not, you know, put together this program, which is a good uh, way to measure what somebody knows as well as teach those who don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have a handout to go with the class. And I came up with this idea of a handout while I was editing this guy's book. And I said, all right, let me gather together all of the things that I think are important to be in a handout that I would want my students to go home with. And, um, I call it like the coffee table university, right? <laughs> you you take home the packet, you throw it on the coffee table, and maybe your significant other or your child or your friend picks it up and thumbs through it and says, what's this, right? And it strikes up a conversation because it's a thing, right? You don't get that with the internet, right? You have a book or a leaflet or a pamphlet or something. It's something to pick up. It's physical. It's visceral. I wanted somebody to take something home with them, um, something that they could write notes in or whatever. And by the time I got done assembling the topics I wanted to cover and I started writing it, I ended up with a 266-page book. I said, well, this isn't a handout. <laughs> kind of like that 6,000-word article. Exactly. It's over 115 original photographs in there. So all the pictures that you guys see in the book, I took those pictures. Oh, that's cool. I edited them, all that stuff, everything. Uh, and I'm not saying – it's the best, right? I'm not saying that the photos and diagrams are the best, but there's 115 pretty good photos and, you know, diagrams for people to work off of. And, you know, I cover a ton of stuff in there. So um, it was an accident. That's, that's basically how it came about. What, what kind of books do you enjoy reading? Who's your favorite authors? So if I'm reading like for fun, like, yeah. oh, geez, I mean, I don't know what that is anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I was heavily involved in reading a lot of the romantics, really um, the contemporaries of the romantics, the beats, heavily into the beats and the contemporaries of the beats. Um, that's the stuff that I pretty much like. Are you uh, working on any other books? Um, am I working on anything now? No. Um, I've, I've got ideas, but um, – Nothing that's gotten anywhere to even an outline yet, but I have a couple ideas swirling around. Can you share? Like I was thinking about yeah, share one. One of the thoughts was um, a book, maybe on just basic gun cleaning, because the chapter I don't know if you noticed this mm. in decoding firearms. The chapter on gun cleaning is actually very light. I didn't go into great detail. Maybe like some of the different techniques you can use and which, exactly, hmm. you know, so that's something that I was thinking of doing and, and I always heavily, you know, rely on 
the manuals. And I'm like, well, you know, get the, how do you clean your gun? Go to the manual. How do you clean your gun? Right. Go to do what the manufacturer says. The fact of the matter is um, some of the manuals are awesome that are out there, but some of them are just awful. Mm-hmm. They really are. Um, and I just recently had opened up a manual and I'm like, well, you know, what were these guys hitting the sauce when they wrote this book? Because <laughs> this is an awful manual. And I get it that we have the internet now, we have videos and we have all these resources at our fingertips, but put out a good manual. That's the least you can do. Yeah. Well, cute. Make sure you add uh, Q-tips to the uh, list. Lots, in this. lots, lots of Q-tips. Q-tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Getting back to your actual writing and what you have actually produced, you wrote a great article back in August that debates the difference between crimes that are inherently wrong versus crimes that are illegal because, quote unquote, the man says so. And I have to tell you, because I was looking through a lot of your stuff, this one really spoke to me. And, you know, you you talk about a specific instance where... um, like, for instance, you say, like, having an illegal firearm is more of a, like, the man says you can't have one, where murder is inherently wrong, right? Like, that's kind of, like, ingrained in us that that's just not right and more of a natural law, so to speak. And so I found this really, really interesting. It really spoke to me because there's so many times, probably because we live in the kind of states that we live in, where I'm saying to myself, so I'm a really good guy in every facet of my life, but I'm a felon because you say so, right? Like I've done nothing wrong other than didn't follow your rules. And, you know, that's that whole like civil disobedience thing. It's like, if it's not just, I'm supposed to follow it because you tell me to, that sounds, TJ says no, that sounds tyrannical to me, right? Like I, I have to follow the King's law. And so this was very, very interesting, but I just thought maybe you could elaborate a bit on, on, why you wrote it and maybe your thoughts on, on this. I, I think you're kind of pulling the cover away here. The, the, the curtain, which article was it? I mean, I, this was in August. I feel like August is already like ancient history. It was called um, a philosophical quandary felon in possession charge for not registering short barreled shotgun. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And this, this article actually drew the ire of some people like on both sides of the topic so-called gun owners. Um, right. So you're dealing with this. And the, the legal concept is the malum prohibitum versus the malum in say, right? So the malum prohibitum is what we're saying is it's something that it's illegal because somebody says it's illegal, right? That's the, the concept here. But it's not illegal because it's inherently immoral. Like, so I think we... If you look at your Ten Commandments, right, um, those are kind of your your morally wrong things that would be illegal. Malum uh, in se, right? Uh, it's illegal to murder someone because it's wrong, right? It's illegal to steal from somebody because it's wrong, right? Um, whereas, what do they say? Nine-tenths of the laws, like, deals with property and everything else like that. Possession is nine-tenths uh, of the law. Yeah, right, possession, right? Um, So you have other things here. Where does that leave everything else? That leaves, it's illegal just because this guy says it's illegal, right? So you get into this concept of, you know, just because this rifle is a little bit shorter than the next rifle or whatever, 
who's being harmed here? Where's the injury, right? And I think that's what we really need to look at when we look at these laws, and they're like nanny laws. Um, When you're suing somebody, right, you come up with an injury claim. I feel, right, this is my opinion, that that similar stuff should happen here with a law, right? And if I'm going to write a law about whatever it is, uh, jaywalking, you know, where's the injury claim in jaywalking? Well, we could say the injury claim is if this guy doesn't walk in the crosswalk and he's jaywalking, it creates a safety hazard for those around him in, in addition to himself, right? Um, okay, so maybe there's an injury claim there. But carrying a firearm, who's injured by that? Can you answer me that? Right. Well, it's like a lot of like New York, like knife laws and things like that, where there's laws in place that say it's not illegal to possess this knife or carry this knife unless in the uh, commission of a crime. Actually, another good one is like um, lockpicks, right? Like it's not illegal to own lockpicks. It's not even illegal to carry lockpicks. But if you're carrying them with intent to do some sort of illegal act, now it becomes a crime. And so like there, like there's a good... Uh, an interesting topic, right? Because it's like, it's just a tool. And until you use the tool for something no good, that it becomes an actual tool of harm. And so a gun, to me, a gun is no different, right? Like you can have the tool on you, carry it around all day long. It's not hurting anybody. And then the second you go to use it in an illegal way, that's when it becomes a harmful tool. Right. Where we run into an issue is when we get into the department of pre-crime, right? That's where we run into an issue. That's where all these laws come from. Uh, the Department of Pre-Crime says that you're going to be a bad guy because this gun is this short. Um, and we don't want it to be that short because we don't want you to be able to put it in a briefcase because that's what we think you're going to do in bootlegging gangster day, right? <laughs> Your so favorite line, Keith. Yep. You know, so um, and, and what was there? One, isn't there only like one documented actual crime or murder spree committed with fully automatic it's very you know, low. Firearms one, but it's super, super low. I think there might be two. I learned about like another one, and I was like, "Where did you hear this?" And the guy's like, "Oh, it's in this book." I'm like, I'm not going to buy that book to figure that out. But <laughs> uh, the, the fact of the matter is, it was th- their day and age weapon of war, right? Which, if you look at the 1934 NFA, like they were coming after handguns. It was the Everything else was the the concession. They were coming after handguns. They were going to outlaw handguns completely. Um, so uh, to get back on track here, I don't think anybody has an injury claim if you have a suppressed rifle. I don't think anybody has an injury claim. And all of these things, so we're in New York and New Jersey. So we come from the land of, well, when you break these laws, it's not even like California. Like if you break California's carry law, for the first time, it's a misdemeanor. To me, that's your permit, like for a pass. You know what I mean? Like you've got your permit until you get caught. You know, right? I'm not suggesting you do that. This is not legal advice. Consult a legal attorney in the state of California. Uh, maybe John Dillon. I think he's a great guy. All right? Whatever. Um, but um, you get what I'm saying. Um, New York, New Jersey, they throw you in jail for felony level offenses. You lose all your rights. You don't get to, to pass go. You don't collect $200 uh, and, you, and you lose it all. Uh, because what? Because somebody says it should be illegal. Somebody says it. 
not because it's immoral, not because it's reprehensible. But meanwhile, you'll have rapists and murderers and all these other scum. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on your podcast, but the scum that's going through the revolving door justice system uh, in New York and New Jersey. That's okay, but God forbid you want to defend yourself like the poor guy that that defended himself with a knife or a box cutter in the bodega. He went to uh, jail. In, in New York. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, <laughs> it, the, the hardest thing for me. So, like, I work with a lot of people from you know the South. I, I work with a lot of people who are freedom lovers. That, you know, and the hardest thing to explain to them about that case wasn't that the guy went to jail for the knife. I, the hardest thing for me was to explain to him what the, what the heck a bodega was. <laughs> uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> because they just hear you know. Johnny, you know that there's stuff up you Yankees got your heads on uh, incorrectly. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> if if you had to pick two or three, you know, of your publications that are must reads for our listeners, what would they be? Yeah. Go, number one, go buy Decoding Firearms. Buy it. Buy two copies in case you want to read it more than once. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> All right, so articles that I'm proud of. There's an article I wrote, and this hat tip goes out to Tony Simon. That you know, we're all friends with Tony. Yep. Yep. Um, something that Tony Simon always talks about is, and this was more relevant like last year than it is now, but it was relevant when I wrote the article about it. Right. So keep in mind that uh, Barbara Walters and Anne Frank. Um, and I believe Martin Luther King Jr., I think that's who it was. All three of them had uh, the same year of birth. Hmm. Huh. Um, really? So you look at this stuff in perspective, right? You know, Barbara Walters um, was with us up until this year. And Anne Frank died when she died during the Holocaust. Then you look at that chasm. Like I said, I think the third was Martin Luther King Jr., hmm. Um Gosh, I should know this. It's my own article, right? Uh, and I'm quoting Tony. He's probably going to roll his eyes. Uh, <laughs> Come on, you've John. heard me say this how many times, right? Um, but there's an article I put out pretty much around uh, January 1, I believe, in that neighborhood. I think it was one of the first articles of this year I rolled out talking about that um, perception of our civil liberties and the thing that Tony always talks about is if you picture uh, Martin Luther you, King Jr. You are correct. All, like, all three of those have the same birth year. You are correct. Right. Okay. Perfect. I'm, I'm quoting myself properly as well as Tony. My God, I'm just having a, a, a brain lapse. Well, right? at least I, fact I, I just want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Picturing Martin Luther King Jr. What do you see? These black and white photos of yeah, him, right? Yeah. Why? They had color film back then. I think of Anne Frank, and I'm like, that was so long. I mean, I know it wasn't that long, but, it, you know, it seems long. But and you're then right. Barbara Walters was alive. Yeah, like <laughs> I watched her all the time. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. Crazy. So if you look at things on a historical level, like this Martin Luther King Jr. in black and white photos, Tony talks about this all the time. It's like a psych op. We want it to be in black and white, even though we have color photos of the man. If we showed him black and white, it makes everybody think it's ancient history. It's not ancient history. Right. And Tony Simon also brings up the fact that he is 
part of the first generation of fully emancipated and free blacks in the United States. And how can you say that about somebody that's in their 50s? Well, you look at everything from Brown versus Board of Ed all the way through uh, the Civil Rights Acts and then also the Housing Acts and everything that followed. That's when you got your free blacks. Yeah. I mean, to quote Joe Rogan, I actually just heard him say it again today. Our country is like three people ago. You oh, know, yeah. like, I mean, you know, a hundred year, if you take a hundred year old person, that's very possible. Our country is three people ago yep. and that's it. it. It's not nearly as old as we feel. People, we, and, and then, you know, we, we've talked about things like that on the show many, many times. We have short memories. Yeah. And we just, we just think what's going on at our, around us at our time is all that's going on. Yeah. So I want to get you to running gun. Um, before we do, um, I do have everything, all your links and uh, stuff in the show notes, but where can people find you? Uh, thepenpatriot.com. And like the number one most important thing that I want people to get here, I want your listeners uh, to know they can reach out to me. I'm always looking for uh, things to write about. So if you have something going on that you, you see here or know or smell anything at all that needs to be reported on about the second amendment, I want to know about it. You can send me an email to John at thepenpatriot.com. Again, John at thepenpatriot.com. You can find me on the internet at thepenpatriot.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. There's a The Pen Patriot Facebook page. Uh, Instagram, Jay Petrolino, III. Twitter, John Petrolino. And then I also have a link tree with J P E T R O L I N O I I I. Um, as the name there in the link tree and the link tree uh, is where you could go to get an aggregate of everything. Cause I'm everywhere. Yeah. I do also want to throw out a really, really huge uh, quick hat tip to the guys at news 2a.com. And I don't know if you know, these guys are not uh, Sean and Grant over there. Uh, I do write for them as well. They are an up and coming publication in New Jersey that are doing wonderful things Everybody needs to go check out news2a.com, subscribe to their newsletter, and you'll get fresh um, New Jersey perspectives, which I think is very important, Mm -hmm. as well as Charlie Cook writes for them um, too. So he covers some Massachusetts stuff. So you're getting um, stuff from people who are boots on the ground, not just – you know, people in an ivory tower, like these are accessible humans. So news2a.com. I just wanted to throw that all out there uh, now. Thank you. All right. So we're going to do run and gun. Uh, You know how it goes. So we're just going to do it. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? My Satori 725. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Tommy gun. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who? George Washington. Favorite caliber? Nine mil. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Writing. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, See through walls. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your Charlie back and your spouse? <laughs> it's time for Top Gear. Let us test it before you invest it. Keith? Frank has gone down. The king, the king is here. Holy shit. Wow. 28.6 seconds. Very, very fast. Wow. You were prepared, sir. I, I may have come prepared. You it helps when you listen to the Frank, show, Frank man. may have too. So to the victor go the spoils. Yeah, King. congratulations.
Thank you. Thank you. So I'm the champion. Do I get like a major award? Do I get a plaque? Will yeah. You'll get mentioned a lot. You get mentioned a lot for yeah. sure. Um, you have something in common with Tony Simon. He he Tony Simon held the number one spot for, for quite a very, long time. Very, very long time. So uh yeah. now now you have uh and that is gonna be very tough to beat. Yeah. Um how fast was it? Twenty eight. I mean, you were actually answering before I was finishing that's questions. That's the key. Yeah. Like if you listen to the show and you know the ten questions and you answer before, yep. that's how you get ahead. Yeah. It so, was impressive. Congratulations. Congratulations. You listen, Frank had a really good run as the I forgot the uh, superpower one. I forgot the superpower one. I'm like, see through walls. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to help me, but that's my answer. <laughs> that's a good answer. Go that. Well, we tell, I've actually said to people, just say the first thing that comes to your mind, but people like actually try to think. And it's like, even if it's not your best answer, just give your first answer. So anyway, congratulations. Uh, so Top Gear is brought to us by 4Patriots.com. Uh, for months, you've heard Keith and I talk about how much we enjoyed the product and how great they've been to work with. So they offer survival food, but they did something really, really cool for our listeners. The folks at 4Patriots set up a special page uh, for all of you at 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 so that listeners of our podcast can get weekly discounts and deals, but act quickly because the deals will change week to week. So remember, head to 4Patriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 every week and grab those deals. What I do is I actually bookmark it and I just uh, pop in there and I take a look at what's what's in there and see if there's anything that I'm interested in. So just a thought. So on this episode of Top Gear, we are going to take a look at a couple of different products. Mine is going to be the TriggerTech AR-15 drop-in trigger. And John, yours is going to be the Stevens 560 field shotgun. So I was building an AR, um, which actually is the one I'll probably use at this two-gun. Uh, it, it does suck to live in New York because it made me, limited me on what I could and <laughs> couldn't do, but uh, I did the best I could. And I knew that I wanted to put, we had mentioned Keith, you mentioned my other AR. My other AR just has like a pretty much stock trigger. And I was like, I really want something a little, little nicer. And so I'd been looking at trigger tax. I've heard about trigger tax, obviously. And I reached out to them and I said, I really want to do this build. I really want to try one of your triggers. Um, what do you recommend? And so I talked to them a bit. And I settled on the AR-15. Uh, this is their combat trigger. So I went with a flat face trigger, 5.5 pounds fixed. So there's no adjustability. They do make this particular trigger in a competitive, which is 3.5 pounds. They have an adaptable, which is 2.5 to five, and a diamond, which goes from 1.5 to four. Uh, I went with the 5.5 because I I kind of envisioned this build as being something that you could use in multiple different scenarios. And I wanted something that wouldn't have, quote unquote, a hair trigger, um, for lack of a better term. I really wanted that 5.5. I went with a two-stage trigger. Uh, this particular one on the combat model is a 0.75 pound first stage and a 4.75 pound second stage for obviously a total of 5.5. And these are some of their sort of talking points. So they claim it has zero creep. Uh, it has a short two-stage action designed to feel like a 1911. So it doesn't have the lighter, light trigger like a 1911. Correct. It has a very, very, very definitive wall, which I like a lot. And a lot of people don't like a two-stage trigger, but the first stage is very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. the, the, the take up is very short. So it's just enough to kind of know like, okay, I'm at my wall. 
but not so much that you feel like you're pulling and pulling and waiting to get to that wall. So that's what I really liked about it. It has a very short um, reset. It has a lifetime warranty, which I was very, very impressed with. Uh, it's all metal built. I believe it's stainless steel and aluminum. Uh, they also offer a satisfaction guarantee of 30 days. So if you buy it, you put it in, you don't love it, you have 30 days, you can return it. So all in all, I was very, very impressed with it. Uh, I really, really like that definitive wall. And I really like that short take up. For me, that was like the, the two things I was most impressed with. It is heavy, you know, I mean, it's 5.5, but again, it's their it's their combat model. This would be like a duty, you'd use this for maybe a duty rifle. Yeah, you, you can get light. You, you can, can get, a, get lighter, yeah. Yeah, you so, can adaptive, adaptive uh, tr uh, uh, second stage or. Yeah, um, so <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe you would have more of that 1911 feel if you, what is uh, what is your trigger pull weight, do you know? It's three and a half pounds on, on, on a Nighthawk, you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, and then I have a, a trigger tech in my hunting rifle. It's a Bagheera. Okay. Um, and um, I have the uh, the diamond model, like of that version. Yes. Which is adjustable. Yes. Um, they're awesome triggers. I yeah. mean, they're just hands down. They're yeah. you know they're probably it's one of it's it's one, one of, of my favorite that I've felt on an AR. I surprisingly liked the flat, the flat face, the flat face a lot better than I thought I would. Yeah, I I, I tend to like flat face triggers. Um. It has like, so it's flat, but it has like a little bit of like a, I don't know what you want to call it, like a little, a dingus. <laughs> it's got a little, a little like a flare on the end of it. And it kind of lets your finger just kind of rest right there at the bottom, which I think also adds to kind of that crisp trigger pull. So overall, it's a $210 trigger. Uh, they did send it to me um, at my request. I asked if they would let me try it out. And uh, I really wasn't disappointed. I, you know, I mean, I, I could obviously switch to something else if I wanted to, but I mean, this is what's going to live in, in that rifle for sure. So I was really, really happy and uh, I would definitely recommend their triggers. So, um, John, what do you got for us? So I uh, went to my first shot show earlier this year in January and I, I had the opportunity to hit up industry day at the range and, you know, it's pretty cool. Uh, you guys haven't made it out there yet, right? No, it's on the short list. Yep. No, and you're, you're going to get there. Um, I, I know you will. So industry day at the range, I, I got to go in with uh, Amanda Suffolk on her team. Uh, it was me, Charlie Cook, and a couple other people. And you get to try out a lot of the new stuff that's, you know, happening. And, you know, it was a great day. It was kind of overcast, kind of wet. But it was a great day overall, and we hit up all the fun stuff a little bit here and there. To be perfectly honest with you, the stuff that had like the really long lines, we kind of just were like, nah, let everybody else play with that stuff. Like I'm not running around with a million pieces of camera equipment and having to do you know vlogging and stuff. I'm there to write about whatever fancy tickles my fancy, right? Well, we got to like the shotgun area, and again, it's funny because – Charlie and I, uh, for those of you who don't know who Charlie Cook is, he's the, the host of Riding Shotgun with Charlie. I believe he's been a guest on the show twice. Yep. Uh, once we're chopping it up and, and, and the show proper. Uh, he and I are like really good friends, so we do a lot together. And um, we always talk about um, about the FUD mentality and FUD life and how uh, you know counterintuitive some of the mentalities are and 
you know, fun, 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 fun. Hey, I, 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 I got to stop you really quick. Has anybody made a FUD Life shirt like a Tupac parody? Because that would be hilarious. <laughs> God, I w- let's do it. Yeah. I need to make that happen. We, we should. But the funny thing is, is like that's what we have the most fun doing is like shotgun sports. <laughs> we spend all this time Unless talking smack about the FUDs. And I'm like, let me strap on my shell pouch and uh, head to the sporting think, place course. Yeah, you know? well, it's a diverse crowd, but the, not all gun owners love FUD life. <laughs> no. No. No, not at all. So, like, but, you know, it's it's like a happy place for me. Um, so we hit the shotguns, and one of the guns that they were releasing this year, uh, it's Savage. Uh, Savage put it out, and it's the Stevens 560 field model. And it's a semi-automatic um, shotgun. It holds, like, I think five plus one and, you know, five in the magazine. Correct. Um, it's Turkish built, uh, you know, which you're finding a lot of firearms, like shotguns in particular, are getting built in Turkey. Like, and damned yeah. good ones, I might say. Even, like, the, the Stogers, which you now people might poo-poo about the Stoger shotguns. Um, they're built in Turkey, but they're they're also owned by the parent company of Beretta. So... I really wouldn't poo-poo at something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I own one, actually. Yeah. They're, I think they're good. I think they're good. It I think never gets shot because I hate shooting FUD sports, <laughs> but I have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, la-di-da. Uh, <laughs> to, to us and our FUD sports. Yeah. Key doesn't um, live with me. It, it's okay. You just, yeah. You're just borrowing me today. It's all right. We're going to get you out there to, to the field. I shot it there at range day and I, I really liked the gun. I thought it was smooth. And one of the things that I noticed, like, but you know, you shooting a semi-automatic shotgun, if you get like a really old semi, like I have a semi and I got it from like, like my dad's best friend. Um, he sold it to me many years ago. And like, he had that gun when, you know, like I think the Dead Sea just had the flu. Like he's had the gun for a long time. It's this old Winchester. Like when you shoot the gun, like you can hear the mechanism. Like you can hear the mechanics of it. Um, and my semi that I shoot is a Beretta. Well, I got my hands on this Savage. And it's a field gun. It's really lightweight, aluminum frame. I'm, I'm working my way through it. Long story short is they sent me one. So I got one on TNA. Um, a few weeks ago, I'd say maybe three weeks ago, they sent me one and I had an opportunity to take it to the sporting clays course and spend the day with it, um, doing a full round of sporting clays, me and Charlie headed out to Virginia and we shot some clays with Cam Edwards and Miss E. Um, so we spent the day shooting the gun and I had, um, Two failures to eject, which I don't think were, were was that bad considering it's a brand new semi-automatic shotgun that's shooting target loads. And it really was non-discriminatory towards the target loads. Like sometimes you shoot these semi-autos and they, they just don't like the target loads. This gun didn't have a problem with that at all. And uh, what's funny is we shot that whole day. Then the next day we went back and Charlie did an interview with the owner of the range we wanted to do some some pictures and stuff, and there was a fella there um, that had two shotguns, and he was talking up his shotguns. I says, "What do you got? Some Caesar Garinis?" And he's like, "Yeah, I do." 
And uh, <laughs> the guy breaks out a pair of Caesar greenies and he's got like $28,000 worth of shotgun wow. in the back of his truck. And I'm like, my God, he's like, well, what you got there? I'm like, I got this Steven semi-automatic field shotgun, you know, I'm like, but Savage sent it to me. They want me to try it out. Right. Uh, so he picks it up. He holds it. Oh, that's a nice feeling gun, whatever. Well, we end up running into him on the course when we're taking pictures you know, it's like, this is the thing with gun people. I'm like, you want to shoot it? And he's like, right. yeah, I want to shoot it. I'm like, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? He shoots the gun and the guy loves it. So this dude that is running, you know, a $16,000 shotgun, I think is the price on one of them. And, you know, whatever. He's got these guns that are incredibly expensive uh, pieces of furniture and machinery. And he shot this gun and he's like, you know what? This is a great gun. And what I think's nice about it is the price point is at like four ninety nine for MSRP. Yeah. So this shotgun is not like out of reach for somebody that wants to start hunting or sure if you want to use it for shooting clays if you want to get into that for um, sporting clays or even trap. I took it to the trap field uh, Tuesday. I'm not going to say I did spectacularly, but. It's been a couple of years since I've been at the trap field proper, but you know, I went there, I got my rubber band and put it over the action so the ejected shell doesn't upset the other guys. You know how that gets <laughs> in the trap field. The guys get, oh my God, he's got a semi and it's a hunting gun. Yeah, relax. Guy. I put my rubber band I on. My, I got my rubber band. I, I, you know? I'm not I'm not trying to make fun, but I don't know this FUD trick. What what is you put a rubber band over the ejection port to catch the shell so that it doesn't you know how when we go train with uh, Ben sometimes and, yeah. and you're, yeah, yeah, you're no, spitting I, I shells in someone else. But, but what, that doesn't cause uh, malfunctions? No, no, because you're only putting one shell in oh, at a time. Oh, right. got it. I understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, so it'll, it'll keep it in the chamber at worst case scenario. you got to pop it up. So here's the thing, though. They, if make, you they, hit, make a, they make nicer things besides rubber bands. Yeah. But no, I like bands. the rubber right. bands. Yeah, the shell very, catchers. There's all kinds of stuff out yeah. there. Now, uh, yeah. and you're saying, you know, using this, if you want to get into hunting or starting using it for busting clays, it has interchangeable chokes. So you can definitely do it that. Does. Yeah. There's, there's, it comes with three different chokes. Um, funny thing about the chokes and the, the choke um, remover, you know, labeling, <laughs> if you will, uh, they don't have it in the manual, like which choke and the number of uh, marks on the choke is which. So, mm. I just used process of elimination by measuring them with a okay. caliper. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the smallest and this is yeah, the biggest. That's so, something uh, they like, could improve upon. They don't have the dots on them. The yeah, it has the dots, but I didn't know what, which know. dot was which. Like, oh. so some of them, like if you have like hash marks at one point was like the more marks is the tighter or the more yeah. marks is the more open. It all depends on the, mm. on the, you know, manufacturer. So I'm like, looking this stuff up on the internet, I'm like, I feel like a, actually I felt like a moron. I'm like, well, how do I not know this? I'm like, I don't know it. Cause it's not in the manual yeah. and that's where it belongs. Right. It's not one of these, Oh, you don't know that. Like it's from the champagne well, region of France, you know, like uh, now, like it should be in the book. Well, tell, that, tell the uh, savage to label the chokes. Yeah. That's an easy, <laughs> put, a little, put a little pamphlet in there and you, they're good to go. It's going, 
Yeah, it's going to go in the review, and I'm going to yeah. tell them, like, listen, you got to step up your manual a little bit. Just put a little a little pamphlet in there that just has, like, you know, a choke yeah, chart. Yeah, a little note Yeah, I yeah. mean, they don't have to, like, rewrite the whole manual. But I'm looking at the picture of this thing, and it's a sharp-looking gun. You know, the, the furniture is really, really nice. So I, I like think the they, polish uh, ejection port. and uh, Yeah, they like did a nice job. Nice. It, nice it is, and it's got, it's got the matte finish, so it's almost got, like, that 870 yep. feel to it. Um, the only thing that I saw as far as like manufacturing on the rib towards the end where it mates with the receivers, you don't see it, right? But where it mates like that section of the rib where it was welded, like you can kind of see like, yeah, this was welded there maybe, but like, dude, we're talking about a $500 shotgun that I only had two malfunctions with. Right. The yeah. first time out the box. No, I took it out. I cleaned it. I lubed it when I got it. But yeah. that, I don't think that's there's anything wrong with that. I think my wife had more issues with the brand new Beretta, Beretta uh, A400 that she got. She yeah. had like two or three failure to uh, ejects on that. And she's like, oh, my God, I spent all this yeah. money on this gun. I'm like, hey, relax. You know, it's breaking it in you know right 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 yeah no no i i uh i mean I'm, i've never actually heard of it to be honest i have you keith i mean you're a no. shotgun guy but uh it, it's definitely a gun like lo- like based on what you're saying and looking at it and the price point if someone was looking to get into hunting and they wanted a semi-automatic it seems like a really good really good buy you know i think it's a oh yeah and if you're looking for that that all-around gun to get started with and you don't want to go just with the pump or you right. want to get your post pump next all around gun, right. right? Yep. It's a great gun. It really is. And it, it was just released this year, 2023. It's new for 2023. You know, I'm usually writing about the legislative and litigation and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, I'm not really writing right. a lot about gear, but um, I've been doing more and more stuff on gear and, and stay tuned. We might have an announcement in the future that, you know, we could talk about later on. Cool. About gear. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right, well, John, I want to thank you for coming on the show and talking about your love of writing and sharing your thoughts on the Second Amendment. Keith and I often talk about the problematic nature with both mainstream media and social media platforms. Authors such as yourself offer a healthy alternative and act as a conduit for so many people who share your values but don't have the platform to share those opinions. So, John, thank you for being a voice for so many people in the Second Amendment community. And to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, and Spotify so we can keep the conversation going. And I would also like to say one last time, there is a new king in town. Yeah, man. (laughs) I wanted to say thank you to you guys because you're providing a very valuable service and your content is great. And you're getting phenomenal people, not because I'm on here. I'm like, I, I'm like, I was like <laughs> fighting like the third monkey getting on the ark when it started to rain and get on the show. I'm like, come on, guys. Um, but no, <laughs> you guys have some great guests and are putting out phenomenal stuff. So uh, kudos to you guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much.